Chapter 18 of Insect Adventures. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. F. Armstrong. Insect Adventures by Jean Henri Fabre. Selections from the Alexander Texera de Matos translation. Retold by Louise Seymour Hasbrook. Chapter 18. Chapter 18. The Banded Spider. In the disagreeable season of the year, when the insect has nothing to do and retires to winter quarters, an observer who looks in the sunny nooks, grubs in the sand, lifts the stones, or searches the brushwood will often find something very interesting, a real work of art. Happy are they who can appreciate such treasures. I wish them all the joys they have brought me and will continue to bring me in spite of the vexations of life, which grow ever more bitter as the years follow their swift downward course. Should the seekers rummage among the wild grasses in the willow beds and thickets, I wish them the delight of finding the wonderful object that, at this moment, lies before my eyes. It is the work of a spider, the nest of the banded spider. In bearing and coloring, this spider is amongst the handsomest that I know. On her fat body, nearly as large as a hazelnut, are alternate yellow, black, and silver sashes, to which she owes her name of banded. Her eight long legs, with their dark brown and pale brown rings, surround her body like the spokes of a wheel. Any small prey suits her, and as long as she can find supports for her web, she settles wherever the locust hops, wherever the fly hovers, wherever the dragonfly dances, or the butterfly flits. Usually, because of the greater abundance of game there, she spreads her web across some brooklet from bank to bank among the rushes. She also stretches it sometimes in the thickets of evergreen oak, on the slopes with the scrubby grass dear to grasshoppers. Her hunting weapon is a large upright web whose outer boundary is fastened to the neighboring branches by a number of moorings. Her web is like that of the other weaving spiders. Straight threads run out like spokes of a wheel from a central point, over these run a continuous spiral thread, forming cords or crossbars from the center to the circumference. It is magnificently large and magnificently symmetrical. In the lower part of the web, starting from the center, a thick white ribbon descends zigzag-wise across the spokes. This is the spider's trademark, the way she signs her work of art. Also, the strong silk zigzag gives greater firmness to the web. The net needs to be firm to hold the heavy insects that light on it. The spider cannot pick and choose her prizes. Seated motionless in the center of the web, her eight legs widespread to feel the shaking of the network in any direction, she waits for what luck will bring her, sometimes some giddy weak thing unable to control its flight, sometimes some powerful prey rushing headlong with a reckless bound. The locust in particular, the fiery locust, who releases the spring of his long shanks at random, often falls into the trap. One imagines that his strength ought to frighten the spider. The kick of his spurred legs should enable him to make a hole then and there in the web and to get away. But not at all. If he does not free himself at the first effort, the locust is lost. Turning her back on the game, the banded spider works all her spinnerets. The spinneret is the organ with which she makes her silk, and is pierced with tiny holes like the mouth of a watering pot at one and the same time. She gathers the silky spray with her hind legs, 
which are longer than the others, and open wide apart to allow the silk to spread. In this way, the spider obtains not a thread but a rainbow-colored sheet, a sort of clouded fan wherein the threads are kept almost separate. Her two hind legs fling the sheet or shroud by rapid alternate armfuls, while at the same time they turn the locust over and over, swathing it completely. The gladiator of old times, when forced to fight against powerful wild beasts, appeared in the ring with a rope net folded over his left shoulder. The animal made its spring. The man, with a sudden movement of his right arm, cast the net as a fisherman does. He covered the beast and tangled it in the meshes. A thrust of the trident, or three-pronged spear, gave the finishing touch to the vanquished foe. The spider works in the same way, with this advantage, that she can renew her armful of fetters. If the first is not enough, a second instantly follows, and another, and yet another, until she has used up all her silk. When all movement ceases under the snowy winding sheet, the spider goes up to her bound prisoner. She has a better weapon than the gladiator's three-pronged spear. She has her poison fangs. She gnaws at the locust. When she has finished, she flings the clean blood remains out of the net and returns to her waiting place in the center of the web. The Nest The spiders show their great talents even better in the business of motherhood than in their hunting. The silk bag the nest, in which the banded spider houses her eggs, is a much greater marvel than the bird's nest. In shape, it is a balloon turned upside down, nearly the size of a pigeon's egg. The top tapers like a pear and is cut short and crowned with a scalloped rim, the corners of which are lengthened by means of moorings that fasten the nest to the nearby twigs. The whole, a graceful egg-shaped object, hangs straight down among a few threads that steady it. The top of the spider's nest is hollowed into a bowl closed with a silky padding. Covering all the rest of the nest is a wrapper of thick, compact white satin adorned with ribbons and patterns of brown and even black silk. We know at once the use of this satin wrapper. It is a waterproof cover which neither dew nor rain can penetrate. The spider's nest, down among the dead grasses, close to the ground, must protect its contents from the winter cold. Let us cut the wrapper with our scissors. Underneath, we find a thick layer of reddish-brown silk, not worked into a fabric this time, but puffed into an extra-fine wadding. This is a comforter, a quilt, for the spider's babies, softer than any swan's down and warm as toast. In the middle of this quilt hangs a cylindrical pocket, round at the bottom, cut square at the top, and closed with a padded lid. It is made of extremely fine satin. It holds the spider's eggs, pretty little orange-colored beads, which, glued together, form a little globe the size of a pea. These are the treasures which must be guarded against the weather. When the spider is making her pouch, she moves slowly round and round, paying out a single thread. The hind legs draw it out and place it in position on that which is already done. Thus is formed the satin bag. Guy ropes bind it to the nearest threads and keep it stretched, especially at the mouth. The bag is just large enough to hold all the eggs without any room left over. When the spider has laid her eggs, she begins to work her spinneret once more, but in a different manner. Her body sinks and touches a point, goes back, 
sinks again and touches another point, first here, then there, making confused zigzags. At the same time, the hind legs tread the material given out. The result is not a woven cloth, but a sort of felt, a blanketing. To make the eiderdown quilt, she turns out reddish-brown silk finer than the other and coming out in clouds, which she beats into a sort of froth with her hind legs. The egg pocket disappears, drowned in this exquisite wadding. Again she changes her material, making the white silk of the outer wrapper. Already the bag has taken its balloon shape, tapering towards the neck. She now decorates the nest with brown markings, making for this purpose still a different kind of silk, varying in color from russet to black. When this is done, the work is finished. What a wonderful silk factory the spider runs! With a very simple and never varying plant, consisting of her own hind legs and spinnerets, she produces, by turns, rope makers, spinners, weavers, ribbon makers, and felt makers work. How does she do it? How can she obtain, as she wishes, skeins of different colors and grades? How does she turn them out, first in this fashion, then in that? I see the results, but I do not understand the machinery, and still less the process. It beats me altogether. When the spider has finished her nest, she moves away with slow strides, without giving a glance at the bag. The rest does not interest her. Time in the sun will hatch the eggs. By weaving the house for her children, she has used up all her silk. If she returned to her web now, she would not have any with which to bind her prey. Besides, she no longer has any appetite. Withered and languid, she drags out her existence for a few days, and at last dies. This is how things happen when I keep the spiders in my cages. This is how they must happen in the brushwood. The Banded Spider's Family The pretty orange-yellow eggs of the banded spider number above 500. They are enclosed, you will remember, in a white satin nest in which there is no opening of any kind. How will the little spiders get out when their time comes and their mother is not there to help them? The animal and vegetable kingdoms are sometimes very much alike. The spider's nest seems to me like an animal fruit, which holds eggs instead of seeds. Now seeds have all sorts of ways of scattering. The fruit of the garden balsam, when ripe, splits at the least touch into five fleshy valves, which curl up and shoot their seeds to a distance. You all know the jewel weeds, or touch-me-nots, along the wayside, whose seed pods explode when you touch them. Then there are the light seeds, like the dandelion, which have tufts or plumes to carry them away. The keys of the elm are formed of a broad light fan, with the seed case in the center. Those of the maple are joined in pairs, and are like the unfurled wings of a bird. Those of the ash carved like the blade of an oar, perform the most distant journeys when driven before the storm. Like the plant, the insect also sometimes has ways of shooting its large families out into the world. You will notice this in the case of many spiders, and particularly this banded spider. As March comes on, the spiders begin to hatch out inside the nest. If we cut it open with the scissors, we shall find some scattered over the eider down outside the center room and some still in the orange eggs. The little spiders have not got their beautiful banded dresses yet. They are pale yellow on top, 
with black-rimmed eyes and white and brown underneath. They stay in the outer room of the nest for four months, during which time their bodies harden and they grow mature. When June and July come, they are anxious to be off, but they cannot make a hole in the tough fabric of the nest. Never mind, the nest will open of itself, like a ripe seed pod. Some day, when the sun is very hot, the satin bursts. Some of the spiderlings, all mixed up with their flossy mattress, shoot out of the balloon. They are in frantic commotion. Others stay inside the nest and come out in their own good time. But as they come out, all of them climb up the nearby twigs and send out little threads which float, break, and fly away, carrying the tiny spiders with them. You shall hear more about these flying machines of the young spiders in the next chapters. End of chapter 18. Recording by K.F. Armstrong.